Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, please open up to Matthew 5. Uh, we are in verses 38 through 42. Uh, if, you, if you don't have your, uh, a Bible, a physical Bible, that is okay. Uh, you can scan the QR codes and the scan QR code behind me uh, if it's there. Uh, if not, just use these two. It'll take you to the Bible app. If you don't want to do any of that, you don't want to take out your phones, you don't want to do with anything, that is okay. We have the scripture that will be up. So let's get right into it on uh, what Jesus has to say as we are continuing uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this in your Bible should be titled uh, Eye for an Eye. And let's kind of figure out what all the fuss is about with Jesus. So this is what it has to say. Now, you have heard it said, Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. A few weeks ago uh, in Maine, uh, it was a, a news broke that a man walked into a bowling alley and decided to open fire amongst a bunch of people, uh, killing 18 uh, people and wounding many, many more. I think some of you guys. Uh, it, it also put the entire state in like kind of this like lockdown where people didn't want to leave their homes uh, because this person was considered loose and dangerous. Uh, they, it was found out that the reason that he probably went and decided to do this at the bowling alley was he was frustrated with people, and he thought people were gossiping about him. So he decided to retaliate in that way. A couple, uh, one month ago, a recent protest in Minnesota, a, a driver, out of frustration, of a, a bunch of people blocking the road, decided that he was going to barrel through part of the protest out of frustration and ended up injuring a lot of people. The, la the other day, uh, I was sitting on the couch and my oldest son got up out of the couch and bumped over uh, my youngest son's uh, iPad that he was watching. And out of the two-year-old rage and frustration, Hudson stood up and slapped Christopher across the face and yelled, no! And Christopher, being my sensitive boy, uh, really struggled with that for about 10 minutes after that smacking incident. Something that has always been around is violence. Where the reaction of some sort is to win, uh, but, but not just win, but it is a, to be a, an excessive amount or a, respond in an excessive amount to whatever was going on. It has been around since the beginning. Jesus, in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, is addressing a very common understanding and something that we still talk about to this day in the court system on, on how we should and it, it, how it's, it's supposed to be about us and a part of our lives as Christian. But he addresses it and says, you go, as a Christian, you are supposed to respond to violence in a certain way. How are we supposed to respond to different types of violence in our life? 
How are we supposed to respond to evil? Probably to be more exact of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus addresses one of the oldest laws and the most accepted laws across the world even today. Uh, You have heard it said is something that he starts it off, so he is addressing something of an old, like an Old Testament teaching, an Old Testament law that everyone that he was talking to probably would have understand. And he says this, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And if, you're, if you went to school here in Kentucky, if you uh, took a U.S. history class, uh, you can probably remember uh, learning the phrase lex talionis, which is a, which is a Latin term. It's, it's something that was kind of in, in, brought into our brains as a very young age. And basically, this law was the law of retaliation or the law of ret, uh, retribution, which what it's known as. And if you grew up... Uh, In the church, we say the exact same thing, but we call it different. We just call it the eye for eye principle. And this law was set up uh, by Moses, and so we have two scriptures that we get from that. So in Exodus 21, 23 through 25, it says this, but if there is a serious injury, to give context to this, uh, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. He, he talks about it again in Leviticus 24. It says this, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who is inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Uh, whoever kills an animal must take ret- ret- uh, retribution. But whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. This was the law that was put into place to try your best to make things equal. The law was for, and and, and this was the law for the courts to decide. This wasn't necessarily like if you did something to your friend, you wouldn't just decide together that you had to receive the same punishment. It was if something happened to you, something evil, you would take it to the courts and then they would decide being a third party on what would happen. So if you were living in this day and you accidentally uh, killed somebody's chicken, uh, you would either have to give them one of your chickens or you would just have to go and kill one of your chickens. It was all about being, in this word, fair. And we have this system in our judicial system as well, Uh, and you probably have an image when you think of our judicial system as like a scale of like it being fair. So if something happens on this side, it needs to be the equal on the other side to make it fair. And even though this is far from perfect system, they still try to make it better and better every day by adding layers and rules and over the years to try in America our best to make everything fair. And the reason this is so important is because we have different uh, places and stories, such as the Hatfield-McCoy story, which has become very popular uh, coming back with the TV series. Uh, But there is this 20-year back-and-forth family feud Uh, where they would murder each other, destroy each other's property, where one side would retaliate and then the other one at some other time later would do the exact same thing in revenge back to the other one. And this feud, even though it was during the Civil War, all kind of came to a head because of one thing, which was a dispute over who owned a hog. And And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there is in our nature a we have to get back desire isn't there 
And if you don't believe me, I encourage you to just watch my boys for like two hours at my house. There will be a slapping battle at some point. We haven't got to the bawling of the fist yet, and I'm thankful for that. It's still an open fist. But there is a desire to escalate the, the situation, isn't there? It's a, maybe a, I have to win, or I want to destroy, or I want to humiliate desire in our life. So Jesus, just like he's famous for up to this point, gives his teaching and interpretation on what we should do when there's injustice, violence, or evil happening to us. And through this, he gives four examples which kind of seem like this, chop, when you read the scripture, it seems really choppy, but he, what he's doing is he's giving four examples of real life situations. So what, what he means by, this is what he means, but, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Scholars debate on what this translation means, but in the Greek, if you want to translate this, basically it, it goes along the lines of do not render evil for evil, or do not repay Evil for evil is what Jesus is talking about here. So think of that in the back of your head as we continue. So the first example, which is the most common, which is to turn the other cheek. It says this, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. For most of the world, there is something called an honor and shame culture. In the United States, uh, we don't deal with this as much, even though it is an, an ever-growing kind of thing in our, in our culture, and we're kind of going back to that honor-shame culture, that if you say something to somebody and, and put them down in a group of people, that is almost what we would call canceling in, in our culture. You can be fired for that. There, it's, we're starting to move back to that honor-shame culture. But basically, if you wanted to destroy somebody, it's so much worse than, than hurting them or burning their property down. The worst thing that you can do to them is bring shame to them. So if you wanted to destroy somebody in the Middle East culture, what they would do if, you, if they confronted with you and, and you wanted to bring shame on them instantly so that everybody looked down upon this person, you would take your hand and you would slap them across the face. But it wasn't just an open hand slap. What they're referring to is a backhand slap across the face. And the reason that this is a big deal is because that's how you punish your dog. That's how you punish your animals. That's how you would punish a piece of property. That's how you would punish a slave in that day. And that's how you treat somebody who you care less than. This was an, this was an evil act in that culture. You, didn't, you did not, by, with any means, lower somebody, that, lower somebody else in front of other people. That was embarrassing, and there was very little to come back from that. So in this moment, our body, if this happened to you, if you were placed in a position where you feel shame amongst your friends, your colleagues, your peers, there is something in our, in our inner desire that, that, that uh, scientists call being going into fight or flight mode, isn't it? If you've ever been in a scuffle before, if you've ever had like a confrontation with somebody, if anybody disagrees with you, you kind of have this desire in them to destroy them or just kind of remove yourself from that situation. So what Jesus is referring to is what you should do is there's two options here. That in a culture, if somebody slaps you in the face, you could get back up and punch them in the face, the fight situation, or hurt them. 
Or you can just remove yourself and kind of cower back and hope it doesn't happen again. But Jesus gives another option. He says, do not repay evil for evil. So what he says is turn the other cheek. And what he means by this is he's not meaning like, hey, just be passive and just let them wail on you over and over again. But what he's saying is that instead of allowing them to backhand you and, and cause shame on your life, place your cheek in a position where they have to open slap you, where they have to treat you if they're going to disgrace you, they're going to have to treat you as an equal, that what he wants you to do is he wants you to stand back up and almost bump chest with that person to show that person that you are human, that you are not person that is worthy of being disgraced or shame. And, and when, he, when you do that, he wants, you, he wants this situation to be so awkward and so weird that it just stops the violence completely. Because most times when you get punched in the face or something happens that's embarrassing, there is only two options that we see most of the time. There is the fighting action, which is the punching, and when that happens, it escalates the situation immediately, does it? That's when fights break out. That's when friendships and families just get destroyed all together. Or there's a, there's a removing, and then for every time that you run into that person, it feels like they have this higher ground when it comes to you. But what Jesus is saying is put yourself back on evil, uh, equal ground so that it potentially could stop the escalation from happening. So he gives the example number two, which has to do with a court of law. We need to understand that. He says, if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, he says, hand over your coat as well. In that culture, uh, everybody owned what we would call, or everybody only owned two shirts, which is kind of weird because we, we have multiple shirts. If you open our drawer, we probably have too many shirts. We got shirts from college and high school. Some people hold on to things from middle school. We got shirts all the way back from a long time. And we have tons of coats. It's cold outside. We got different coats. Every 10 degree variance as it get colder, we got a different coat that we wear, don't we? But in this culture, it's just a little bit different. What they would have is an, is a, is an undergarment, which was what they consider a shirt, but it was a kind of a head to like mid-thigh situation uh, where you could kind of gird it up and it could be kind of like shorts, but it's like a, it's like a big like onesie that's not connected, uh, basically. And you would have two of those. If you were really poor, you would just have one. Uh, but most people had two. You could alternate and wash as needed. And then the other thing that you would have is what would be considered a big coat, and this was a dual purpose. One, you would wear it around. It would protect you when you're working. So it was a thick coat. So if you worked outside, you wouldn't get cuts or anything. Uh, if you worked in a shop, it would, it would kind of have a layer of protection in some sort of way. And then at night, it, it was a dual purpose where you would wear that coat as like a blanket to make sure that you didn't freeze to death. And there was a law in this culture that was very, very important. That no matter what happened, no matter what situation, you were to not... You could take whatever you want in somebody's life, but you do not take their coat because it was considered a hate crime in that day. It was considered like the most inhumane way to treat somebody because you were basically sentencing them in, in, in a non-reality and reality way of to basically you are going to freeze to death. And they had all sorts of laws around this that you could not take somebody else's uh, coat. So what Jesus is doing, and it's kind of hard to understand when Jesus is being funny, 
And he might be being funny here. Maybe he's just being serious for the shocking moment. So what he is saying that if you are in a court situation and somebody is suing you and they're suing you for your shirt, which you might only have one or two of, what he says in the courtroom, take off your shirt and give it to him, but also take off your coat as well and give to him. So you have this imagery of somebody basically stripping down naked in a courtroom and giving everything over to them in response so it's kind of like the shocking factor. It's, it might be Jesus being hilarious because that would be a hilarious scene and absolutely ridiculous. But it's also showing that person that what you are doing to me, if they are suing you for an evil, remember this is in the, in the context of evil, if they're suing you for an evil thing, then you need to show them that you are human. That if you are, if you are, in the fight or flight situation, in a suing situation, normally you would just sue back and then you'd be in the courts forever to try to decide and you would both just be destroyed. It's repaying evil for evil. If they're making up something, you would make something up back to destroy their life. Or you just take it and you don't have a shirt for a long time until you could afford one and you, you kind of like passively go back. But what Jesus is saying is this middle ground to try to stop the violence, the evil happening. And he's like, look, put yourself in a situation where they have to view you as a human. That when, you, when they take their coat, they're basically sentenced you to free, freeze to death. And in that culture, that is not okay. And when you do that, it should stop, or it, it, there's a possibility of stopping the chain of violence because you put yourself in a certain situation. The third example is this. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Jesus is referring to a rule that Roman soldiers could use that at any point they could come up to you if you were in the Middle East and a Roman soldier could command you to carry their pack for one, up to one mile. And they would do this if they got tired, if they were traveling around, they would just randomly call, hey, you, Jew, come carry my stuff for a mile. And they hated this. This was, they viewed this as unfair. They viewed this as an injustice and evil amongst the Jewish people. And they hated the Roman people. So anytime this happened, there was like kind of this fight or flight situation that either you could retaliate in, in a bad manner, you could fight the Roman guard and say, no, I'm not going to do this, this is injustice, or you could just run the opposite direction in order to not deal with this situation. There was, there was an overgrowing group during this time called the Sicarii, and it was translated as dagger men. And these, these people's sole purpose was to try to remove this one law. So what they would do is they would hide in large groups. And in their coat that we talked about before, they would hide a dagger. And they would slip behind Roman guards. And they would stab and slip the nets of the Roman guards and then slip back into the crowd so nobody would see them. But Jesus says... We shouldn't do any of that. Instead, he, he gives this, this really perverse and just out of, the, out of the way of their culture response, which he says, if, if a guard tells you to, to go a mile, he says, go the extra mile with them to show that person, that guard, that you're not just a piece of property, that you can't just be used and, and snap their fingers at a command, but you are a human as well, and you should be treated as such in hopes that that guard that is treating you that way, that their heart is changed for the better. To not just keep uh, pushing down the Jewish people over and over and over again, but show this guard that, look, we're humans too. 
that I know you have a job and, and, and we live in this land, but we don't have to treat each other this way. It is a way to stop the chain of violence that was happening in their culture. So what he recommends is when you possibly get called to, to go the extra mile, you have a conversation with them. Like, hey, what does it feel like to be placed in a, in a position that you don't really want to be in? Hey, what does it feel like to be thousand, a thousand miles away from your family in a place that you are not welcome? Everybody hates you. Paul refer- references that he went through this situation in, in, in Philippians 1 when he was in chains And he talks about how he was winning the soldiers over for Christ, and he realized that he was there for a reason. And instead of just getting frustrated with his situation and their beatings or whatever was going on in jail, he just decided to go the extra mile with these people in hopes that their hearts were changed. And Jesus gives one more odd odd scenario, where the first three have to do with the oppressee, like like evil being oppressed on the Jews, and this is us as regular people dealing with the oppressed. It says this, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus, as you have found out, is, is, is giving a, just one more example, that when you come across a poor person on the road, that instead of just throwing money at them, or just looking at them and saying, well, why, why are you in this situation? Just go get a job and fix your situation. And what we found, and even in our culture, neither of those things work long term. What Jesus is possibly doing here is saying that you need to help this person who's being oppressed or being in a bad situation through relationship. That he uses this word borrow. And in you know, if you've ever let anybody borrow something, in order for it to be considered borrowed, that means that you had to actually receive it back, right? Like if you say, hey, I'm gonna, I'll lend you something, or someone's saying, hey, can I borrow a tool from you, and you never get that tool back, it wasn't borrowed, it was just taken. So what he says is like, look, you need to allow somebody to borrow something from you. And the only way that you can borrow something is if you have a relationship with that person, that instead of just giving them something in their lowliest moment, you elevate them to the next standard and put them in a human standpoint and say, look, I'm going to give you something and I'm going to let you borrow it. And when you're done with it and you can take care of yourself, please give it back. And if you are not in that position to help somebody, at least you are looking at them and you're not looking at them as a less than or somebody that is evil or something that's wrong with society. What he wants them to do is welcome them into community, which has the opportunity to break the chain of violence, doesn't it? It has the opportunity to elevate the poor to a standard at which you are. It just breaks that, ever, that, that constant chain of people going into poverty and just being stuck there for eternity. You can break that chain with others if you bring them into relationship with you. Now, some of, all three of these examples are the most quoted amongst Christians today. See, if you, if, if what I have found of these examples is when they are given as, as answers to problems of current day situation, they actually have nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. And what Jesus intended for these examples is to show the, the heart behind it and the possible breaking of the chain of violence and not to repay evil for evil, but possibly through all of that, changing the heart of the person that is on the other side. See, most of us, if you grew up in the church, 
and I experienced this as well, that if you came home, let's say that you're in middle school and you, you, you're, everybody's going through puberty, so everybody hates each other or loves each other, and you're just like frustrated with somebody, and, and they do something that you would consider evil to you. Uh, they, they talk bad about you. Maybe they push you on the playground. You know, just think of middle school drama that you have experienced. If you volunteered in youth group, you, you've experienced it before. But you go home, and you're frustrated. You're heartbroken. You're hurt. You're embarrassed, whatever the situation. And if you grew up in, and you had an old, that old school Christian family, and you go to them, be like, what am I supposed to do? And they probably responded and like pointed at your uh, WWJD bracelet that you had on and said, well, what would Jesus do in this scenario? And they would probably say, well, Jesus would turn the other cheek, wouldn't they? Which, in my opinion, does nothing for you. (laughs) And what I think is it's done is because we have viewed these in the wrong light, has turned many Christian groups, and they've kind of just rolled over dead mode, when something gets hard. See, when you read this entire section, you see that Jesus in every situation warrants a direct response in this situation. That sometimes it's turning the other cheek, and sometimes it's picking up the pack and going the extra mile, and sometimes it's bumping chests with the other person and having the hard conversation for the sole purpose of stopping the chain of violence and hoping that their heart changes in the situation. Because Jesus doesn't want us to just roll over. What Jesus wants us to do is go through the difficult times to hopefully help heart change. One of uh, the greats of the past 100 years, maybe even 200 years, was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., And he helped lead uh, in civil rights movements, and he did so much more. But while he was in seminary, he studied the Sermon on the Mount so intently that he declared that the best way to fight against injustice and how to change people's hearts was that it was a nonviolent way, was the best way above all else. So when you go back and look look at how he handled and directed people in protest, as they were sprayed down with water hoses, as they were beat with batons, as thrown into prison, as you see dogs just rip apart these people, the ultimate goal was to stay strong, to stand what they believe in, and do not repay evil for evil, but push forward in a very non-violent way in hopes that you change the hearts of the injustice in the world. See, when studying the scripture, my first inclination was to just ask like a billion questions when looking through this lens. Like responding evil for evil, like what does it mean in war? Like how do we respond to some, an evil action upon us? Like, like how do you protect yourself if evil is happening to you? Like in a home evasion, like if, if evil and somebody wants to hurt your family, do you just like shoot the person in the toe and just hope for the best? instead of removing them? Like an evil act, like what do, you, what do you do? And what I've realized, and if you look through all of these situations over the past hundred years, like looking at World War I or World War II or Acts on Terror, et cetera, what about all the stuff that's happening like in 2020 or 2021? Um, how do you deal, how do, or like I have kids, you have kids, 
how are you supposed to like teach them how to deal with like bullying or fights or somebody embarrassing them? Like that's a big deal to me. Like how are you supposed to handle this stuff? What, what's the best response? And after going through all these questions that popped up in my mind, I realized that I have more questions than I have answers to. But I, I think the conclusion of it is that we should never, ever, as Christians, respond evil for evil. That we should always and, and, and do our best. I know we're not perfect, but we should always do our best to try to stop the chain of violence in hopes that we, that we change the hearts of people to view you, whoever's doing evil on you, that, man, you are, that you're just as human as them in hopes that you stop that and they never respond in evil to anybody else again. But if we take our discipleship serious to Jesus, if we want to become like Jesus more, then this is a non-negotiable, that we need to ask these questions. Whether you come up with a different uh, ending than me, we need to ask these questions to figure out how, are, as Christians, are we going to break the chain of violence in our nation? How are we going to direct our kids to, so that they don't respond with evil for evil in the household, at school, when they grow up to, to have their own jobs? How are we going to raise the next generation or us today of following the ways of Jesus to break the, the chain of injustice in our, in our culture, to break the chain of violence, to break the chain of just evil, to break the chain of humiliating other people, even what's modern term cancel culture, how do we stop that in our culture? But, we've, but we elevate each other to a standard of we are all humans loved by God, that no one is greater than the other. So I don't know if you have been in a situation recently where somebody has come to you and responded in a negative way. I don't know if it was a frustrating situation, maybe at work, maybe you were, you were on the, the, just the tail end of something just absolutely evil. Maybe it was brewing for a long time and you just received the brunt of it. Maybe it was in maybe a lesser setting uh, if you are married and you, re you received something that just wasn't fair. Maybe it's a brother or sister that you received just the tail end of a frustrating day. Maybe it is like me and, and all of our parents where you are really tired at the end of the day and your kid's acting absolutely ridiculous and you just want to throw them across the room and hit the wall. It's a reality. If don't, you're not better than me. You all do it. I don't do it. They're alive. You saw them walking around. What are we supposed to do? As we walk through this path of becoming more like Jesus, you know the ending of the story. Jesus didn't repay evil for evil. He died on the cross. I'm not saying that you're going to go throughout your life and be tortured and you're going to die on the cross just like Jesus, but he did not retaliate evil for evil, but he did that in hopes which he succeeded, which was to change the heart of the world, which he did where he died on the cross and made himself a pure human for everybody else so that he could change and break the chain of violence so that a group of people who were the disciples could continue that message for eternity 
and now we have that same option. So God, as we go throughout our day, as we do our best to be disciples of you, to become more like you, and hopefully in turn do what you did, God, I hope and I pray that our hearts can change so that we can change the heart of other people. That we do what's difficult in the situation to change the hearts of other people just as you did. God, thank you so much for the example of Jesus on the cross. That he put this into practice to break the chain of violence even though he received so much violence. God, I pray that you give us the strength to do the same. That if somebody comes to us, no matter what the situation is, we can bump chests with those people and put ourselves on even ground and have the hard conversation just in hopes that we can change their hearts so that we can change them back to your son. God, you are so good. God, be with us as we go throughout our day. God, allow us to be more like your son, Jesus, a little bit more every single day. God, allow us for the Holy Spirit to guide our hearts and just make an impact in this world. God, you are so good. And I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.